Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you ask today that you grant each person listening the spirit of wisdom. I pray, O Lord, that you grant them revelation in the knowledge of you. I pray, my Father, that you grant them and that the eyes of their understanding are enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the exceeding riches of your, or the riches of the glory of your inheritance in them, the saints? And I pray, Father, that they may know, that they may know what is the exceeding greatness of your power that is available to them who believe. My Father and I ask the same power that was used when you raised Jesus from the dead Put it at the disposal of your people. And we ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason I prayed that prayer is we have come to a turning point in history. We have come to a turning point in our seasons. And a turning point that we cannot deny. We cannot deny, wheresoever you are, whatsoever you're, list, whereso, where, wheresoever you're listening from, ladies and gentlemen, you stand at a crossroads, and those crossroads will determine the rest of your life. And so this morning, ladies and gentlemen, the title of my message is actually quite simple. And the title of my message is, A Functional Approach to Stepping into the New. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have to step into what God has made available for you. And many times when we are faced with a decision like that, it can be daunting. And so we're going to walk with somebody who you know about, someone you will have recognized from biblical history. And we're going to walk with him as he steps into the new. And I pray that as we follow the things that God did with him, may those things become stepping stones for you, wheresoever you are upon this journey. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask if you could to turn with me to the Bible, and I will ask you to turn to 1 Kings, and I'm going to read from chapter 19, and and our story is in chapter 19. And ladies and gentlemen, I will start, and I'll Start pretty much immediately, and we'll start at verse 4, deliberately. The story is preacher's material, but we'll start at verse 4. And the Bible says, this is speaking about Elijah. And the Bible says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Ladies and gentlemen, the first thing I want you to realize as you're stepping into the new, as the Lord takes 
you into the new, and I mean the Lord will take you into the new, is this. The first thing you're going to have to remember, and it's this, it is that you will have to confront reality. And you must understand, Elijah had the most colorful journey through history. He had demonstrated the power of God at a level that shook the kingdom. He had led Israel into a place of repentance, but now he had to confront reality. And the reality was this. A season in his life had ended, and it rocked his world. The reason I say so is when a season ends, many times there is an assumption that what you have done is either insufficient or it may have, it looks like it's failed. But seasons end. That's how God has planned the world. And in this case, a season was ending and it rocked his world because he had done everything God had said. And yet the battle still seemed to be raging. And it looked like, God, it's not over. How can it be done? And then he makes an assumption. I must have failed. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. That is actually not the case. When a season ends, it's just run its course. And I'll give you an example before we go to our next scripture. And I hope this brings encouragement to somebody that a season has ended for someone. And it's like, so where do I go now? But that was my best shot. That was everything I knew. Let me put it in context. When a surgeon who is remarkably skilled finishes an operation, his part is done. It has not failed but it is completed. He now hands the patient over to the teams of medical professionals who will take that patient through recovery, through managing medicine, through ensuring infection doesn't get in, ensuring rehabilitation comes in. But when the surgeon walks out of the, of the operating theater, takes off the scrubs, his part is done. That does not mean his part has failed. It just means that episode is done. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to drive this home for you. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. And I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Version of the Bible. It's a popular verse. We've, we've read this verse, but I'll read it now. And the Bible says, Do not earnestly remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. Then the Bible says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? And will you not, <coughs> excuse me, and will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now pause for a moment. When we read that scripture, many times we think then the old must have failed. So God is going to do something new in that what God does is in compartments. No, God is in control of everything. And so what I want you to understand, although he's saying, leave the old where it is, he's not saying it's failed, he's just saying it is done. 
And this is what, I, and, and I'll give you another example to drive that home. I don't know if there's anybody in here, I, I mean, some people may definitely all around the world, who happen to play FIFA. Now, FIFA on the Xbox is pr a pretty popular game. You realize they, when you release a New Year's version, it does not mean the skills you have developed from the previous versions are useless, but it means that this particular version has things in it that you didn't know about before that you have to learn so that you can become as good in this version as you were in that version. Listen to me very carefully, ladies and gentlemen. Let me drive the point home. You're going to have to confront reality, and I say that politely. Reality may mean the season that you are facing is done. Something has come to an end. Something has run its course. And don't be afraid to say, okay, God, let's focus on something new and let's learn something that I did not know before because the previous one did not fail. I could go on and on, but let's go on with that story. So the second thing I want you to look at is this. Please come back to our story, and I'll please come with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 to 2. And the second thing we're going to look at is rest, recovery, and recuperation. Rest, recovery, and recuperation. I will read from 1 Kings 19, reading from verse 5, and I'll stop at verse 7. And the Bible says, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baken on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Pause for a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something about Elijah. Elijah had done everything that God said by himself, and he was exhausted, absolutely exhausted. And this is key. When he comes to a point of transition, notice what God does, because I want to get encouragement into somebody's heart. When he comes to a point of transition, he is so tired, he literally falls asleep. When God now wants to re-envision him, notice what happens. God looks for Elijah. Elijah does not look for God. And I want to say this carefully. In this season, ladies and gentlemen, God is looking for you. And when God comes, notice, God does not come and say, listen, Elijah, pick up your sandals, pick up your staff, shake yourself, my brother, you're my servant, let's go. No, what does God do? God ensures that rest, recuperation, and recovery happen before he asks him to do something else. And listen carefully, that means, please, let me say it this way. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're thinking about the God you serve, remember, God is in control of this. And I want to drive this home. 
your interaction with God Almighty through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not a transaction, it is a relationship. Listen carefully. God did not hire you like a star striker. You are his child. That means his relationship with you goes way beyond your function. That means whether you are functional or whether you are not functional, you are still his child. And I want to say this to someone. That means when God comes to you in this season, as he will, as he brings the new before you, as he points you to tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand he's not coming to drive you like a slave driver. He's coming to you as a father, meaning I will make sure everything you need is provided. A couple of pictures here that hold sway, and I want you to understand them. And, and uh, let me talk about, I, I would love to go on and on and on, but I'll say this before I say my last bit of this point. Notice, when the angel came to Elijah, where did he put the water and the bread? Within his reach. He didn't put it on the other side of a task. He didn't put it out of the reach of his arm. The Bible says the angel put it beside his head, meaning it is something that is going to be easily accessible, something you're not going to have to struggle to get because God is going to put it within your reach. Listen carefully, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to understand this. When God is coming to you and he's coming to change your seasons, he's not coming as a slave driver. He's coming as a loving father. Please keep that in mind. The last thing I want to say here as I move on is this. Please turn with me in your Bible. I want to drive something home because there are a lot of people who are watching me and they're tired. Please turn in your Bible to Psalms 127, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Psalms 127. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. The reason we're going to read verses 1 and 2, we're going to talk about sleep. Ladies and gentlemen, when you fall asleep, when you are exhausted, and when you fall asleep with the assumption that the problem is still yours, or the problem is unfixed, or the problem is waiting for you, when you go to sleep, you may black out, but correct me if I'm wrong, you wake up tired. Because your mind is still thinking, your mind is still worrying, and the assumption is, how on earth am I going to get through this situation? When God gives you rest, it's completely different. So let me read from Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2, and I'm speaking to someone, maybe on the other side of the world. I really hope I am. The Bible says the following, except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Except the Lord keeps the city, the watchman wakes but in vain. Verse 2, it is vain, that means it's pointless, for you to rise up early, to take rest late, to eat the bread of anxious toil, for he gives blessings to his beloved in sleep. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand, the builder of the house is the Lord. And when he gives you rest, what is he saying? That you can close your eyes right now while you are sleeping, I've got this. How do I know? While God was restoring Elijah, Israel was fine. Judah was fine. 
you will be fine. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let me go on to the third point. The third point is, and let's go back to our story, come back to our story with 1 Kings, and we're going to read one verse of Scripture, and we're going to read verse 8. And the Bible says the following, And he arose, I am reading from the King James Version of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. Please write this word down as the third thing I want you to remember, and it is this, relationship. When God restores Elijah, the angel of the Lord tells him that the journey you are about to go on is too great for you, so I have made it possible for you to make the journey. But the angel doesn't tell him where to go. Do we agree? Notice, but when the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, who are representative of water and bread, when they get involved on your inside, you will look for God naturally. Now, listen carefully. What does Elijah do? He sets his goal, and he says, I'm going to go to the mountain of the Lord. Why? He's going to seek God. Please hear me, ladies and gentlemen. Your relationship with God right now is critical. Where does the news start? It starts in your relationship with God. So, and because of time, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice something. Elijah goes on a fast because the Bible says for 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord brings him back to himself and he only does what? In the strength of that last meal. It's a supernatural 40-day fast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to go into a season of prayer and fasting. Pastor will explain it when, it when I am done. But listen to me very carefully. It is going to be the most pivotal fast we've ever, ever done in the entire journey of our church, in the entire journey of your life. This is going to be a fast because that's going to turn things, and I'll tell you why. Because it is taking you back to your Father. I have many things to say, but I only want to say this one thing about the fast, about fasting, and it's this. Fasting, ladies and gentlemen, does not twist the arm of God. Neither does it force God to do what He had not planned. Fasting, ladies and gentlemen, causes your relationship with God to become effective and functional. And I'll break it down. When you find yourself in a fast, the following happens. Your study of the Bible becomes revelatory, meaning you will see things in the Bible that you have never seen before. And that's how God changes people. Your prayer life, ladies and gentlemen, will not be a monologue. The Bible says in Isaiah 58, please don't turn there, and guys at the back, you don't have this. So Isaiah 58, reading from verse 4 to 6, the Bible specifies the purpose of a fast. It is that fasting will cause your voice to be heard on high. Your prayer life when you are fasting becomes a dialogue, not a monologue. Meaning, it is not you begging God for things, but God will tell you things about you and about your future that you did not know. It will become a conversation. 
when you're fasting, worship will become a life-changing experience. So all of a sudden, a song will take on the effect of the of the anointing of the old temple. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself in God's presence. And the experience will change you. When you are fasting, ladies and gentlemen, obedience will become clear and easier. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, notice this. When you step into a place of fasting, if it is effective, it will always cause your giving of your life, your resources, your time, and your and your best, whatsoever it is, it will become life-changing. That is when you will do something that will cause your life to pivot around the goodness of God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what fasting does. This fast that you are going on, this fast that we are going on, will be one of those life-changing, 360-degree pivoting experiences. Why? Because it coincides with a season of God when He has determined to do something new. And therefore, you do not need to be afraid. Your relationship with God, a fast is not for you to go hungry. It is so that God can cause your relationship with Him to become functional and effectual. I could go on, but let's go on to what we are saying. Point number four. Point number four is, please write down the word location. And we're going to go back to our story, and I'm going to read from 1 Kings 19, and this time I'm going to read from verse 9, and I'm going to stop at verse 14. And the Bible says the following, And he came thither unto a cave, and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, and he said, go forth, and that is God speaking to him, said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out. And stood in the entering of the cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him, and said, What doest thou here? Elijah, same question. Verse 14, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, and thrown down thine altars, and even I, only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, this interaction is all about location. And I'll explain why. Elijah, when he finally gets to the mountain of God, he doesn't go and stand in front of the Lord. The Bible says he lodges in a cave. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is important for you to know. He only went as far as his fear allowed him to go. Because, and that you don't necessarily need to turn there, but you'll notice when Elijah was at the height of his challenges, 
the Bible records something Obadiah said to him. And he said, my master, you'll find that reference in 1 Kings 18, 3 to 4, and 1 Kings 18, 11 to 13. I will not necessarily read it. But what Obadiah says, he said, didn't you know that I took the prophets of the Lord when the persecution was at their highest, and I hid them in a cave, and I fed them with bread and water. When, I, when Elijah goes to the mountain of God, he doesn't go and stand in front of God. He goes into a cave because that's as far as his fear allowed him to go. Please hear me well, ladies and gentlemen. As you step into the new, what worked in the previous season? If God does not ask you to do it again, it will not work in this season. And so it is the worst time ever to copy what somebody else has done and has got a result. Elijah was looking for God, but he only went as far as his fear allowed him to go. So when he poured his heart out before the Lord, notice there were two questions. One of them was, what are you doing here? He pours his heart out. Notice what the Lord says. He says, change your location. That means I'm not going to talk to you from yesterday. I need to talk to you from today. The next time, Elijah, when he, and then God demonstrates something. God then demonstrates that he's not in the spectacular. Earthquakes, fires, and, and, and winds, which is what the people of the world at that time were looking for. That's why they went to false prophets. That's what they lent on. And Elijah, he knew that, God, you're not in this. And then he hears the voice that started him on his journey. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. When he hears the still small voice and he goes and stands before the Lord, the Lord asks him the same question. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And this time when Elijah gives him his answer, the Lord begins to break open the new. It is important that you understand that you are not coming back to a formula. Neither is God bringing you back to a pattern. He is bringing you to himself. Because the Bible says in 1 Kings 17, verses 1 and 2, the strength of Elijah's ministry was found when he stood before the Lord. He said to Ahab, he says, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand. So what was God doing? He said, for me to give you a new set of instructions, I'm going to have to draw you to where we started one-on-one, -on -one, where we started with nobody else, just me and you. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord is not asking you to do anything except come to Him. What He says next will be life-changing. Number five. Then the Lord begins to reel out the instructions. I'll read from 1 Kings 19, reading from verses 15 to 18, and I'll read quite quickly. And the Lord said to him, go return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. 
and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maloha, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Verse 17 and verse 18. And it shall come to pass, him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. And then he said, verse 18, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed all the, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord gives Elisha a set of instructions and they change everything. Because the thing I want you to realize, notice what he said about shaping tomorrow. He said, Find the people who are going to shape tomorrow and anoint them. Meaning, tomorrow will not be shaped. And please, ladies and gentlemen, hear me well. Tomorrow will not be shaped by a pattern. It will be shaped solely by the power and the ability of God. It is all about an anointing. And he says, anoint three people. And all of them. And what he was saying was, pour onto them the ability for me to rest on them. And then what I have put in them will happen. Ladies and gentlemen, what is God going to do in the next season of your life? He's going to anoint you. Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 8 in the Amplified Bible, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, reading from the Amplified Bible, it says you will receive three things, efficiency, might, and power. Listen to me very carefully. The next season of your life will be a demonstration of the power of the Almighty God. You will not fail because God does not fail. He's about to anoint what you do to change your life. Number six, legacy. As we come to the end of our story, two things jump out at us. The first one is legacy. I will read 1 Kings verse 19, and I'll start from verse 19. And the Bible says the following, So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And with him the twelfth, and Elijah passed him by and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. Ladies and gentlemen, chain, legacy is about enabling others. Let me put it this way. Building a legacy is all about building people. And so let me put it in a very simple phrase. Wherever you are in the world, there is someone waiting for you to step into the new because their lives depend on you making it. You are not an accident, neither are you empty. You are God's planned person to change the lives of many. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to remember the word legacy. Whatever happens next is going to build people. 
Whatever God asks you to do, whatever God lays on your heart, whether it be big or small, whether it be large or something minute, but people will be at the center. And what will you do? You will enable people to step into what God has asked them to do. The rewards of that will be beyond your wildest dreams. But notice, I want you to remember this about this conversation. Please keep this in mind. Without Elijah obeying God, Elisha's dreams and desires would still be on his inside. But when Elijah obeys the Lord, somebody else's destiny is free to show up. Last point. Change. 1 Kings 19, reading from verse 21, and it's the B part, so to speak. The Bible said, then he arose. This is Elisha. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. I want you to understand before I make this point, ladies and gentlemen, that something happened after Elijah touched Elisha. A season of the honest prophetic took over Israel took over. Your actions are going to change the lives of many. The news shows up. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to remember change. That's the last word I want you to remember today. Because you realize the new that God had designed shows up at the end and not the beginning. It shows up where? at the end and not the beginning. And so you realize, the pos I'll, I'll say this to wrap up. Elijah's strength was doing things on his own. And the Lord said, I need you out of your comfort zone and I want you to allow somebody else to walk beside you. The new ladies and gentlemen will be within your reach. And we realize God's secret weapon was the word minister. Because the Bible says, Elisha, when he followed Elijah, he didn't come to Elijah as a superstar. Just give me a platform, just give me a space, just tell me what to do. I'm good, I'm good. No, no, no. The Bible said he became his servant. And he learned from Elijah everything he needed to know. So God shaped his ability, but he also shaped his character. And the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 3, reading from verses 11 to 12, please hear me well, as one generation served the other. That means Elijah served Elisha, and Elisha served Elijah. Hear me well. The Bible says a transfer happened and the anointing that was spoken became a reality. Ladies and gentlemen, the posture of the new is one of service. As you serve others and they in turn will serve you, there will be a transfer. The generations will meet and God will reshape the world. And so ladies and gentlemen, 
My prayer for you is simple as I close. My prayer, ladies and gentlemen, as we come to pause, is that the mantle that God has determined for you falls on you in this season. Wherever you are in the world, may the anointing that rests in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fall upon you. And so why do I say it like that? Because Jesus proved this to be true. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus, I want you to remember something about Jesus. The Bible says he served his disciples. And as they walked with him, he changed their lives forever. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are out there and you don't know the Lord Jesus, then I want to make this appeal to you. The servant king, Lord of all, is reaching out to you today. And he's saying, let's walk together. I will take care of all your sins and your weaknesses. And as you begin to walk with me, there will be a transfer. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like that to happen, then please say a simple prayer and ask Jesus to come into your life. As you do so, ladies and gentlemen, a journey begins. He will give you his life and he will gently take yours. We call that salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, May God bless you as you step into the new.